You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, J-Town. This is our Advent series called God Revealed. If you got a Bible, I encourage you to go to, I almost said Ecclesiastes, but we're in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses uh, 9 through 14. And so Ellie Riggs, who's the daughter of Kristen and David Riggs, is going to read the text for us today. So I want to encourage you to stand uh, with us in honor of reading God's Word. And so just as you're doing that, just remind you that we're, we're in this Advent series. We're taking four weeks here. Where we're kind of just unpacking. We called it God Revealed. So we're just taking uh, these moments in the story of God, where God comes and shows Himself and reveals Himself, trying to understand what He revealed, revealed there, and then kind of fast forward really fast to Jesus and show how He's the fulfillment of what God showed here. So last week we looked at Jacob, uh, where he, God came and revealed himself as God with us. And fast forward to Matthew chapter one, I think, and we see that Jesus' name, Emmanuel, which we just got in singing, which means God with us. And so today we're gonna look at a very central passage of scripture out of Exodus, where God came and revealed himself uh, to Moses. So Ellie, take it away. So because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And this is the word of the Lord. And let's pray together. Father, we don't take this for granted, and we are so thankful that you have not left us in the dark, but that, God, you have come and revealed yourself to us. Lord, we can answer this question, who is God, because you're the one that's given us an answer. And so, Lord, um, may you um, enlarge our minds and our hearts to, to help us to grow in our understanding of you so that we can deepen our trust in you, Lord, and so that our, our joy in you can grow greater and abiding and that, God, we can have something that's constant, like that centers us, that, that is a rock for us to stand and hold on to during uncertain times. We love you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's give it up for Ellie. She did great. Thank you, Ellie. You can sit. Be seated. I used to always forget to say that when I was doing weddings. And I uh, kind of learned the hard way. People stood up for the first half of my wedding one time. It's like, oh, sorry, I forgot to tell you guys to be quiet. I said, not just be quiet, but to be seated. So, all right. So, yeah, man, thank you, Ellie, for reading. I know that's uh, always kind of nerve-wracking, and she did a really, really good job. And just wanted to find uh, ways that we can involve our students and our kids in the season of Advent. Um, I don't know about you, but you, you may not like this, but I kind of like it that we are kind of in a phase with, you know, fast food restaurants and things like that to where they call you by your name and not just a number, right? I don't know if 
If you remember, maybe McDonald's still does this. I don't go to McDonald's a whole lot. So I think they've even shifted. You know, back in the day, you'd, you were a number. Number 42, 42. And so you had to have your, you know, keep your receipt because I'd always forget my number. And so I'm kind of glad that they're at a place where now they call you by your name. I think Chick-fil-A is the one that started this. And they're very intentional about this because they feel like it, it gives a very personal touch to it. And I think all of us would agree with that. It's way more personal than being like a number for crying out loud. It's really great to kind of hear your name uh, spoken out. Oh yeah, that is me. That's my, that's my order. Now it's a little, uh, it's a little interesting with me. <laughs> uh, I have no idea why my mom chose to name me. Uh, well, she said the reason why she named me Lyle is because she saw it in a book and liked it, which is great. You know, I don't feel like there's a lot of meaning to that, but it's okay. I'm with that. And, and now that I'm older, I really like my name. I don't like dislike my name. I just struggle with the spelling of it when I was growing up. Uh, and if you're wondering what my spelling of my name is, just, just think Carlisle without the car. So it's L-I-S-L-E. And, and for some reason, most people just cannot pronounce it. Like they just, it like for them, the S has to be said. It's just something in their mind. Like they don't think Isle, they don't think Carlisle. When they see Lyle, they, that, that way I spell it, they just have to say the S. And so it's always interesting when I, you know, Chick-fil-A and, you know, they, they you know, the one person takes your order and this is all pre-COVID, obviously. And then you're kind of standing underneath that little triangle thing and you're just waiting, you know, and, and, 10 times out of 10, like I'm, there's not even a, a 10% in this one. 10 times out of 10. Lysol, Lysol, you know, Lysol. I've heard Lysol before. I've heard Leslie before. I'll get letters in the mail when they're doing like, you know, just uh, mass mailing and there'll be Miss Lyle Drury. Like they, for some reason, they can't think of a male that would be spelt like this, that they always think that nothing wrong with females, amen. So I'm just, but it's always really interesting how that S just stumps everyone uh, for some reason. And here's, uh, here's the catcher. So uh, this, I wish I would have taken a picture of this on my cuff. This was, I don't know, a couple years ago. Um, sometimes when they ask me like my name and they ask me to spell it, I'll tell them a different spelling just so I can avoid the, that's me, it's Lyle, S is silent. Um, and so this one time this lady, you know, didn't ask for the spelling. And so I was assuming, man, okay, she must kind of know at least what it is. And then I got my cup and I looked on my cup and literally this is what it was spelt like. Lyle. <laughs> I thought about that and said, well, phonetically she's on it, man. But I, like the first thing I came to my mind is like, have you ever seen a name like this? You know what I'm saying? Like, you, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen someone's name spelt like this. What would make you lie all? So, oh man. I say all that to, to basically say this. I, I, I do believe that no matter if they say it wrong or whatever, there is something that's very personal uh, when someone says your name, right? And in most contexts, maybe not in a relationship context, right? Um, there's, there's an invitation to a relationship when someone introduces their name to you. There's a... There's, there's a an open door, kind of an opportunity to know, to be invited in, to be in relationship. And so this is what I, what I want to do this morning. Um, there's a, this is a big feat to sometimes tackle, all right? This is a, 
a massive central text within the whole of the story of God. But in this passage of Scripture, all I want to do is I want us to see that God is making himself known by revealing to us his name. And, and you can even make this, this kind of case also is that the whole of the Advent season, this Christmas season, it is, it is primarily about God making himself known, that he wants to be known and he's revealed his name so that we can be in relationship with him. So we don't have to wonder. We don't have to, you know, metaphorically stay in darkness. Like we can answer with confidence this question, who is God? Because our God has a name and his name is Jesus. So I've kind of gotten ahead of myself. We'll get there at the end. Let's camp out here just for a few minutes. Let's kind of uh, unpack this, this, um, this central text where, where, where God comes and reveals his name to Moses. Some of us may be familiar with Moses, but just kind of a, as a brief get the context here. So uh, Genesis then Exodus, so obviously the Exodus story is a continuation of Genesis. We see that the nation of Israel is in Egypt at this time. They're under slavery. They've been in slavery for 400 plus years. They got a, a king who's a tyrant, crazy person, evil king who's, who hates the nation of Israel and to even uh, kind of keep their population small. He made this command and this law to throw all baby boys that are born into the Nile River so that they would drown and die. Uh, and in this kind of edict from Pharaoh, Moses is born and his mom and dad try to, try to hide him for a month or so. And if you've, you know, for most of us that have a, had a baby, that's, that's really hard to do, right? To, to hide a, a, a baby and the noises they make. And so eventually they have to throw him in the Nile River, but they put him in a basket. He floats around. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter sees him, her heart goes out to him. He grows up uh, in Pharaoh's house. And then eventually he sees like his people, the Hebrew people can begin to see that they're in slavery, wants to do something about it, steps into a fight, kills an Egyptian soldier. This Hebrew brother actually turns on him also. And so he's fearful for his life. He's wanted for murder. And as a 40 year old, he runs out into the desert, flees. And he's been there for 40 years. So when we encounter Moses in this little scene here, he's 80 years old. He's got a family, got a wife, some kids. There's probably no aspirations in him to kind of go back and rescue his people. He tried that. He's kind of done. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, one night, or maybe it was during the day, he sees this strange thing, this, this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. So, and that's what drew him to this bush. It wasn't that the bush was on fire, right? Maybe that was a common occurrence, like bushes just on fire, you know? But this one drew, you know, made him be more aware because the, the bush itself was not burning up. And he approaches to that and God commands him, hey, stop, hold on, take shoes off, you're on holy ground. And then... He calls Moses and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to rescue Israel from slavery, and I'm going to use you to do that. And after 
Moses hears this call from God. There's these lists of excuses on why he's not the right guy for this, right? And one of those kind of like excuses was in this desire to know his name. Look what he says here in verse 13. Then Moses asked God, like if I go to the Israelites, right, and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell him? So it's not that, um, that no one knew the name of God or knew the character of God up to this point. No, no, God's been revealing himself to the nation of Israel you know, quite a bit, you know what I'm saying, up to this point. It's just that they've been in slavery for 400 years and they have not heard anything from God in these 400 years. They've been crying out for rescue take us back, you know, get us out of this situation. And God has been silent. And so there's, there's an essence where it's not that they didn't know the name of God, but during these 400 years, maybe it's been forgotten. Maybe it's sort of been lost. Maybe it's fallen to disuse. And so there's a way in which Moses is going, look, man, you've, you've been kind of silent for a while. We, we haven't heard you in a long time. Like, you got to give me your name. Who, who are you? And then in verse 14, God graciously replies to Moses and says this. God replied to Moses and said, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. And God also said to Moses there in verse 15, say this to the Israelites, the Lord. And so just just follow the progression here. So God says, here's my name. I am who I am. Then he shortens that at the end of verse 14. It says, I am, this is what you're saying to them, I am has sent you. And then he gives a derivative of this, the Hebrew word for I am in verse 15 when he says, the Lord. And so here's what you got to know. This, this phrase here, the, the, the specific one, I am who I am. Some of you might have a translation where it says, I will be who I will be. And the reason why there's maybe some two different ways of seeing this is because this is a really, really difficult word to translate. And we've got a, we got a motorcycle running right down here, baby. I love it, man. It is awesome. So we can run to that here in just a few minutes. It's all good. I love it. Super duper. So um, I said it again, right? Two times in a row today. Uh, so what we see here is that this, this word is really hard to interpret and then not only, I'm, I'm sorry, translate, so then therefore it's a really difficult word to interpret. So it's almost like um, God's not wanting to be named. Like, I don't know, when you first read that, I don't find that name very helpful, right? It's like, okay, I am who I am. Like, that's, that's I am is your name. It's almost like saying that, uh, you know, uh, my name is I exist, Right? I don't know. That's just not really helpful. I mean, I thought Lyle was hard, but I can't imagine, you know, hey, what's your name, Lyle? I mean, what's your name, sir? And I said, well, I exist. <laughs> okay, can you get me a name? No, that's my name. I, I exist. And so it's just interesting what is going on here because in, in one way, God is deliberately being ambiguous and giving this name, I am, and the reason why I think one of the reasons why he's trying to be a little ambiguous is sometimes names can limit and constrain. And God is making sure that Moses and the nation of Israel understands that, yes, I'm giving you a name, but that name is not going to limit 
and constrain me. Also, we got to remember this too, is that the nation of Israel has been living in Egypt for 400 plus years amongst the people that worship multiple gods. And each of their gods have a specific name. And for 400 years, they've been hearing people call out their specific God's name and they needed to know what that God's name is so that they can get the favor of that God. And if they don't know his name, then they can't get that favor. And so they need to know these specific gods so they can kind of exhort and uh, get him to do what they want you know, him to do for him. And so, so it's this, 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 this name is so important for the Egyptians because in some ways, if they know the name of this God, then these Egyptians can also kind of control and use him however they want to use him. And so the, the, the ambiguity of this name is not only because he doesn't want to but people to constrain him by just limiting him with a name, but it's also to help the nation of Israel understand that, man, I am not like the Egyptian gods. You cannot use me like a genie. That's not who I am. You cannot just use my name and call out to it as if you can get whatever you want. You cannot control me. And so there's this this level of ambiguity in this name that's done on purpose. You're not going to constrain me. My name's not going to limit me. And you can't control me. Just because you know my name, I'm not a genie. But in light of the ambiguity, here's what we can understand when God reveals himself and gives his name as I am. First, just quickly here, it means that God has no beginning, and no end. It means that God is utterly self-determining. He's the one who determines who he is going to be. It helps us see also that he is self-sufficient. That was, that's symbolized in the burning bush, right? Fire needs fuel. And when the fuel gets burnt out, it, the fire is done. This, this bush did not need fuel. The fire in this bush did not need fuel at all. It wasn't consuming the bush. It's almost like it was a living flame. It means that God is utterly self-sufficient. He has no needs. And so even when I say at the beginning that God wants you to know him, it's not because there's a lack in God to where he needs you to know who he is. It's out of the overflow of his joy and love and his generosity that he wants you to know him. It's not because you're feeling some lack in him because God is utterly self-sufficient. God is also, based on what we see from this name, he is absolutely unchanging. He's constant in his being. And in his character, some theologians call this name I am, this, this, this phrase that he uses to name himself, the isness of God. Don't you love that? The isness of God that every place, every point in time, every circumstance or need, God is. And so what we see here, guys, I know. I even feel um, um, my difficulty of, of doing justice with this name. And I think that is okay because there's a part where we never get God sort of in a box. We never get to a place where we exhaust 
the very knowledge of God. And so there's a way that we can kind of humbly say, this is what we can know here. And at the same time, there's still more, right? And so what we see with the story of the Exodus, and you can go home and read this, especially within the plagues, it's, it's what, what is happening there is God is giving his name, I am, and then he's going to kind of put, um, for lack of a better word, kind of meat on that skeleton. I'm going to give you a fuller understanding of what this name means. As I work through you, Moses, and you set my people free. So it's not, a, it's not like Moses, you know, gets this encounter, knows God, fully known, all there. No, there's this kind of progressive revelation that God is even doing in the midst of the ten plagues because... If you go and read that, you'll see that the, the, the repeated phrase that Pharaoh asks is this. Who is God? Who is this God that you are talking about? A plague comes. And in this plague, we begin to kind of get some sort of flesh, some meat, so to speak, of understanding more of who is I Am. And then, right, you take the story of Exodus, right, and let's fast forward a couple thousand years, and we get to a place where um, this, this rabbi, this teacher, kind of showed up on the scene at sort of 30 years old, saying things, doing things, speaking things that are a little out there, a little different, not sure how to kind of put him in a category, so to speak. And then John chapter 8, we see this dialogue that he has between the Jewish leaders himself. And look what he says, starting in verse 52. And so the Jews said to him, said to Jesus, now we know that you have a demon. <laughs> That's pretty strong, right? And it goes on. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, What? If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than your father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And then Jesus said this, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If my father who glorifies me of whom you say, here is our God, but you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, look, man, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. And then look what Jesus says in verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, say it out loud, I am. So what's Jesus doing here? He's using the very personal name of God that was revealed to Moses and he's identifying himself with it. I am. I, I am God in the flesh. And the religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying because in the very next verse, they picked up stones to stone him because he is self-identifying or self-declaring that I am, I am the one who revealed my name to Moses in Exodus chapter three. I am 
God in the flesh. And the writer of Hebrews picks up on this in the very opening kind of like prologue, so to speak, to his book when he says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And I love verse three. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Love how the ESV puts that. The exact imprint of his nature. So look, look, I know these are um, truths that some of us may know it here. And sometimes when we, when we hear truths that we've heard over and over, it kind of falls somewhat, not on deaf ears, but kind of maybe numb ears. So if I want to know who God is, if I want to know more of who I am is, so maybe it's a little ambiguous in Exodus chapter 3 of what exactly it means that God is I am. If we fast forward at all the way where Jesus lands on the earth, we see this ultimate imprint or the, 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 the fruition of this, of knowing exactly who is I am. We look to Jesus. We look at how he lived, what he said, how he walked on this earth. He's the one that, that helps us know who God is and puts on perfectly this flesh of I am. So if it's ambiguous in Exodus chapter 3, it's no longer when Jesus shows up on the scene because he is revealing to us who I am is. And that's why John kind of anchors all of his gospel around these seven I am statements to where it's almost like John's going like, maybe you had the same question that Moses had. I don't know what that means. That's a little ambiguous. Uh, that doesn't help me. And so John's going, I'm going to put some flesh to it. This is what I am means. This is who I am is. This is who God is in the flesh. And I'll just walk through these kind of quickly. And I just want us to hear these afresh. This is who God is. John 6, 35. I am am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus sustains all of us. He's the food for our hungry souls. He's the answer to all of our aches and longings. John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them again and says what? I am the light of the world is Jesus who brings clarity in a very confusing world. He is the light of the world. The third one in John chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. He protects you. That's what he's getting after when he says, I am the gate for the sheep. There's no wolf that's going to get in and harm these sheep. He Text you, no harm will ultimately come to you because Jesus will see to it that nothing separates you from the love of God. It goes on again in John 10. There's two of these in John 10. It's great. Verse 11, he says, I am what the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He leads us. He cares for us. He keeps us. And ultimately, he dies for us. The fifth one in John chapter 11, verse 25 Jesus said this to her, I 
am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, he will, he, if he dies, will live. Death no longer has a final word on our life. And any time that Jesus shows up, it's always an invitation to life. John 14, verse 6 is the sixth one. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last one that John gives to us in John 15, verse 1, he says this, I am the true vine. Jesus is the source of life and flourishing. Abiding in him is the way that we come to life. So look, I I realize in some ways, man, I've just touched on the surface of this. I've got like 30 minutes to try to unpack this central name of God. And I've just scratched the surface of what it means that God is I am as seen and embodied and explained perfectly in Jesus. So look, here's the hope, right? For Christmas, here's the hope for Advent. Here's here's what we remember and here's what we celebrate. And I say this, man, with with as much like um, newness as possible, or I'm asking God to make this land on our ears in a new way. We can know God. And the way we know we can know God is God has graciously and kindly revealed his name to us. He is the I am, the great I am that's then fully fulfilled in who Jesus is. And when we read the Gospels, when we read the words of Jesus, we can see more and more of who Jesus is for us. We can know him. So to kind of bring this like um, into kind of a little bit more of an application, so to speak, or just to bring this home for us in closing, here's, um, here's a question I think would be good for us to kind of unpack just, just for a few minutes. And I would like for you to think about this, and, and if you want to write it down, you can. Uh, that'd be great. But what do you need from God right now? Those of you that are online or and for us in person, what do you need from God right now? When Moses asked for his name, it was because he was in need. Do you remember the first question? That Moses asked when God said, hey, this is what I'm going to do through you. He didn't say, awesome. I've been waiting 40 years. I got a plan. (laughs) I've been meditating on this and reflect. I've been waiting for you. Hallelujah, you're here. I'm 80 years old. I'm ready to go, right? What did he say? Who am I? Who am I? See, I, I put before you, that's a, that's a question of need. That's a question of recognizing his lack. 
And it's exactly where Moses needed to be in order for God to not only invite him into a relationship with him, because when he reveals his name, he's inviting him into a relationship, but that's exactly where he has to be in order for God to use him. He had to see his own lack, his own need for God to show up in the powerful way that he did. So what's that for you? What do you need from God right now? In a season like this, I need something that recenters me often. I need something that steadies me. I need something that gives me hope. I need something that kind of tethers me to um, what is unchanging and constant. I mean, so so many, so many like emotions and um, experiences that you feel during the Advent kind of Christmas season. Um, and I feel like, especially in, a, in the time that we're in, in the midst of all that's happening in our culture with this pandemic stuff, all that seems to be heightened, right? So some of us are feeling our loneliness in very profound ways right now. We feel isolated. So no one's listening, no one hears, no one cares. Some of us are feeling our losses in ways that maybe we, we've not experienced it before. And I don't say this in any kind of cliche way, but there is, man. Some of you are going to sit around Christmas table and it's just not going to be what it was, Right? Maybe it's a mom or dad, an aunt, uncle, brother, sister. Maybe it's a divorce. That's a loss. It's really hard. So what do you, what do you need from God right now if it is true that, right, that part of what it means that he is the I am is there's an isness to him, Right? That if you need comfort, Jesus is. Think about that. It's not will be, possibly, hopefully. Jesus is. If you need joy, Jesus is. If you need peace, Jesus is. If you need love, Jesus is. If you need wisdom, Jesus is. If you need life, Jesus is is if you need God, which all of us do, right? Jesus is. I came across this quote this week, and um, I think T.S. Eliot, based on the kind of research I could find, uh, wrote this in a poem, but it didn't have Jesus in it. And so pastors and authors have kind of retweaked it to say it like this. And I just feel like, man, this really... um, helps speak to my longing and what I need from God right now. It's this. Jesus is the still point in a turning world. Jesus is the still point in a turning world. So if you're not a Christian here, my invitation for you 
is that you would receive him, that you would put your trust in him, that you would give your life to Jesus, that you would sit and think and reflect upon this question, like, what do you need? What do you need from God? If you're a Christian here, then my prayer for you is that, um, it's kind of what Scotty Smith said in one of his prayers that I read this week, that Maybe you'd ask God that he would surprise you during a season where sometimes the reality of the incarnation of God is kind of like, meh, you know? That maybe over the course of this week, you take the I am statements in John and just pick two or three or just pick one. Maybe that one kind of resonates with your own heart. And you say, I'm going to reflect, I'm going to memorize, and I'm going to think on this because this is who he is. And he is that for you. So, man, step into this season and engage in relationship with this personal God whose name is Jesus. He is the great I am. Let's pray together. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash J-Town.